The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Thank you, Will. <laughs> Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we're going off the charts on today's tech turnaround. One top technician is laying out the next key levels to watch as the NASDAQ hands in its best day since late August. Plus, FanDuel CEO joins us exclusively while she is calling the current sports betting boom a big bubble. And later, Netflix inking a new all-time high thanks in part to the Squid Game effect. If you don't know what that is, we will explain. But we start off with what might be the ultimate Teflon tech stock. Microsoft rallying 2% today. It is now just 5% below its all-time high. And get this, Microsoft is the only, the only mega cap tech stock that has not seen a 10% correction from peak to trough. So what is Microsoft's relative resilience telling you? And how are you trading this name? Dan Nathan, we'll go to you first tonight. Hi, Mel. Um, well, I'd say this. I think it's really interesting when you put that graphic up there that, you know, all of the other names that you put up there that we know combined make up about 25 percent of the S&P 500, 45 percent of the Nasdaq 100. The fact that Microsoft didn't have that 10 percent correction in this latest downdraft is interesting in and of itself. Maybe it's that they don't face some of the regulatory issues or some of the bottleneck issues as it relates to supply chain or some of the issues with China. They've been through a lot of that already. So to me, I just think that, you know, again, you know, we got to look for different stories in this market. They're all, not all the same. And we did not expect them all to go down the same amount. But when you look at Apple and you look at Amazon, Amazon's down on the year. Apple's only up 6% on the year, massively underperforming the NASDAQ. And then you look at Microsoft and you say, something's going on there. I feel a bit better as I head into Q3 earnings at the end of this month in that name maybe than some of the others. Might you, Dan, call this one of the best big cap tech charts in the market? Yeah, I mean, it really does set up for a nice like look, look where it's pulled back to that level that it consolidated in late July. And it looks like it's about ready to make another okay. run back towards those prior highs. That was sort of a rhetorical question. Um, Guy, what do you think of Microsoft? What do you think the chart here? Dan makes a lot of good points in terms of going through a lot of sort of the woes that the rest of the tech sector is dealing with right now. Dan only makes good points. You know, I think Microsoft is impervious to many things. Obviously, higher interest rates has been. A bit of kryptonite for some of these high flyers. I don't think Microsoft falls under that category, number one. I think you can make a very compelling argument on valuation for Microsoft. Probably has about 15% EPS growth. Go back to the last quarter. They talked about stable Azure growth. They also have 41.5% operating margins. You look at the analyst after the call, anywhere from 325 to 375 in terms of price targets. The thing that derailed this stock in the short term, believe it or not, was the September 14th announcement when they said they were buying back $60 billion worth of stock. Everybody got all geeked up on Mountain Dew, and that proved to be the short-term top. But you've seen moves like this this year in February. You saw it again in April. You're seeing it now. You're right down 8.5%. But I think in the earnings on October 27th, this sets up really well. I'll say again, I think Microsoft is the most important company on the planet. Evaluation doesn't look too bad, but when you compare it to some of the other big cap tech stocks, it's not... 
the cheapest. And I'll throw out Apple because you can make the argument that it's dealing with supply chain issues, which are a question about the holiday quarter, et cetera, et cetera. But if you take a look, Jeff, at an alphabet, Microsoft is more expensive than Alphabet on a forward P.E. basis. I'm wondering how you evaluate the two or how you find value or relative value in the big cap tech. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, too. And in this market, whether you're talking about growth, whether you're talking about value, it has come down to quality. That's really what's worked regardless of what style you are in. So Guy mentioned valuation. Sure, it might not be the cheapest FANG stock, but at the same time, valuation is reasonable. You think about positive earnings revisions. You think about strong free cash flow yield. I mean, these are the kinds of qualities that this market likes. And Microsoft has been that name on the growth side. And uh, I think it probably continues to act that way because investors are going to continue to look for those sorts of qualities. That said, you know, I think talking about Teflon or it, it, impervious to any type of volatility, you could have said the same thing about the NASDAQ as sort of the rest of the market was correcting over the past couple of months. So I don't think anything is immune to volatility, but certainly investors are preferring certain qualities in growth uh, versus others. But just quickly relative to technology as a whole, you know, I see right now, even on down days, I think yesterday was a good example, you're not seeing that margin of safety and growth in tech that you've seen over the past couple of months. And I think that trade got a little bit crowded. And I think as this growth scare narrative starts to fade, you're starting to see economic surprises bottom. I think there's more air to come out of that trade. So I want to be in this reemerging leadership, the energy, the financials. You have 100 percent of banks trading above their 200 day moving averages. I think that's where the momentum is going to be into the end of the year. Jeff self-pivoted to a, a would-you-rather in terms of sectors. That's not the question, though, necessarily tonight, though, Tim. I mean, tonight, I mean, a lot of people want to be in energy and materials and play for that cyclical, the reopening trade. At the same time, they still want to keep some sort of ballast in technology, particularly big cap tech. And so is this where you find the balance? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the balance in 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 big cap tech is something that's not going to leave you tomorrow. And, and I'll just point out that Microsoft has been uh, the best performer amongst mega cap tech, but the triple Qs, so all of the NASDAQ 100s only down 7.9% from its 52-week high. Um, the SMH, we've talked about semis. Semis have lost 8% in the last five days, but they're still only down 9 and 3 quarters percent from their all-time highs. So it's nice that Microsoft's outperforming. Microsoft doesn't have supply chain uh, chip constraint dynamics that, that some of the other companies and Apple finally uh, had to announce some of those issues, even though we thought they could lean on suppliers more than just about anybody. Um, I, I think that's the world we live in. Um, the, the mega cap tech trade will stop working and stop being a safe haven when the Fed takes more liquidity out of the market. That's what this comes down to. Higher rates. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing some sympathy here. You lost 10, you know, you lost half a point on the 10 year. So you moved up another eight bips or so uh, on the 10-year, and, and that has been some pressure. But the, the pressure is liquidity, liquidity for markets. The biggest companies in the world are going to continue to see most of that liquidity as market flows, as, as funds flow in. That's the story. And the story to me, Microsoft, there's no dispute. Again, it's making a great point about a, a, a company that has given you almost everything you need in this environment. Jeff just talked about it as well. And, and ultimately, it's a case where the recurring revenue stream, the enterprise, the cloud, how about teams really stealing the thunder, maybe even from Zoom, even though Zoom created the term. So Microsoft in every place where they have competition um, seems to be doing what they need to do here. I'll ask a Goldilocks question to Guy because he hates that term. And so for that very reason, I'll go to him. Um, as long as rates are where they are in this sort of range, Guy, is that Goldilocks for the cyclical trade as well as some of these big cap tech names? 
Well, apparently, yes, is the is the answer. I mean, as long I think it's to your to answer your question specifically, as long as ten year yields stay somewhere between one forty and one fifty five, I think that is the sweet spot for many of, the, of these names. Specifically, banks, yes, but. I think we're going to get outside of that, and when through one and three quarters is a different conversation. But I'm trying to answer a very specific question. I hate the term Goldilocks. I always rooted for the Bears. That goes as no surprise. But there, there's the answer to your reindeer game, Mel. All right, let's talk more about today's tech rally. Our next guest says the Nasdaq 100 has even more room to run, but not everyone's coming along for the ride. So let's go off the chart to Chris Verone of Strategus. Chris, take it away. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, you know, I think this is actually a pretty tricky tape, and I know we're entering kind of that 4Q good seasonality, but I do want to be maybe a little bit more selective than I typically would this time of year. And you know, let's actually start with the S&P. Let's remember S&P peaked about a month ago, S&P down about 6% from the highs. But remember, most stocks actually peaked in late April, early May, particularly the more cyclical parts of the market. The average issue is down closer to 15%. What I thought was really interesting over the last few days, kind of heading into this morning, you had three successive lower lows uh, on the S&P, Thursday, Friday, Monday. But what was curious was fewer and fewer stocks were making new lows uh, at, at, at each one of those new index lows. So if we bring up the first chart, just showing you the percentage of S&P stocks making a one-month low, that actually has been declining for about a week now. So I suspect most stocks here are bottoming. I'm not convinced the index has necessarily bottomed. And kind of that's that odd dynamic when a handful of names really command all the weight in the index. What the average stock is doing is often a little bit different than what the index uh, is doing. There's nowhere where that's more pronounced than NASDAQ 100. And if you bring up our second uh, chart here, NASDAQ down about eight. But I think we need to be aware only about 50, 55 percent of the Nasdaq is still above its 200-day moving average. Going into, going into the fourth quarter last year, that number was something like 85 or 90 percent. So the internals were a lot better a year ago than they are today. That tells us as we look to the next couple months, we have to be more selective than we otherwise would uh, this time of year. So I brought along four names that I think um, – are, are worthy of our attention here these final months uh, of the year. I do like Netflix long. You know, Netflix has kind of been the anti-Fang. It, it hasn't participated with Fang all summer. It is now starting to break out and show some relative leadership. It got through 600, 620 uh, over the last couple of weeks. We like that to 725. The relative has turned there as well. I like Cisco here as well. You've had a good correction in Cisco. You know, part of the more value-oriented tech. It's a great long-term chart. It got very oversold over the last several days, right back to support, kind of in that 52, 53 range, I think you want to put exposure on. Um, you know, NASDAQ 100 is not all tech. There's consumer here too. And Marriott, in the hotel space, there is momentum behind all these travel names. We like Marriott Long. This, this is a name that has momentum. It's a great, great long-term chart. I think it's going to 175 really good picture breaking out of a base. And then there's one name that I don't want to touch. And I think we have to be very, very skeptical of Amazon here. This is a name. There are 60 analysts who cover Amazon on the street. All 60 of them have a buy rating on the stock. And no one's made money here in 18 months. That's a bad combination. Frankly, I thought it was a pretty tepid bounce in Amazon today. 
you know, watch 3175. If Amazon can't hold 3175, it's going lower. So three names we like. One I think you got to be careful with. But overall, maybe a little bit more selective into these final months of the year. That was strong, calling out the sell side on Amazon, Chris. Uh, Jeff's got a question mm. for you. Yeah. Hey, Chris, Jeff Mills. Uh, you know I read your stuff. So looking at some of the recent reports and thinking about the strength in the market that we've seen reemerge and talking about some of the areas of the market that have been beat up but are starting to recover, and now you're seeing 95% of financials above the 200-day, 95% of energy above the 200-day. I mentioned 100% of banks above the 200-day. So how do you differentiate that type of strong momentum versus sort of near-term overbought versus that being a signal of longer-term strength? You know, Jeff, I thought at the top of the show, you actually said it very eloquently how you were describing it as this growth scare ends. And I agree. I, I think this growth scare that's been with the market for four or five months is coming to an end. I'm not sure that's great for the index. That might be very good for the average stock, the average cyclical that's been correcting since May uh, uh, or June. And I want to always position, particularly this time of year, in the direction of momentum. Financials have momentum. Energy has momentum. Reopen has momentum. I'm not sure tech or long duration names or the arc type of stocks have the momentum here. Pretty tepid bounces there today. I might be more inclined to fade some of those moves than I would be to chase. Fade, in, including Microsoft, Chris, just quickly, since we did lead the show with that and, and made a big yeah, deal you know, about Mel, how it's resilient. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny. These corrections typically aren't over until everything gets smacked around. And I thought it was interesting that you observed that Microsoft is the only one of the big techs not down 10%. Um, does this have to go down 10 before this ends? That would be my guess here. I might be uh, a little bit more careful here. All right, Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Chris Verona, Strategus. Dan, what do you make of uh, Chris's advice? Yeah, I, I like it, and I think it makes sense. I mean, we didn't really have that very disorderly day yet where it feels like capitulation. Um, so I don't think down 5.5% from the peak is it. Um, I suspect we're in a kind of one step forward, two steps back. I will tell you that I think the last battle fought in this market is going to be Tesla. We know Tesla's had that massive run. It's made a series of higher lows and higher highs since that mid-May. I think it was trading... 550 or so here we are at about 780 and that thing just hasn't budged on any of these big down days over the last week and a half so when that thing gets sloppy when you see that thing south of 700 that's probably the sign that you're going to start seeing money flow back into microsoft apple and some of these other big names coming up one group feeling a bit under the weather mm -hmm. the ibb biotech etf down more than 10 percent over the last month so what's the cure the traders are taking the temperature on this trade next plus inking new high shares of netflix on a record run thanks in part to the squid game effect if you've got no idea what we are talking about stick around we'll break it all down when fast money returns Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customer 
customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The biotech trade feeling a little under the weather. The IBB ETF barely eking out a gain today and lagging the broader market. It's now down 10% over the last eight sessions. Oppenheimer's Jared Holt says we are in the midst of one of the worst biotech drawdowns in recent memory, and the sell-off looks somewhat overdone. So is it time to bet on a big bounce? Specifically, he was flagging the fat guy that we haven't seen big cap biotech perform very well. And he just he threw out some names, but there are many of them. Abvi, Gilead, Amgen, et cetera. Yeah, and Moderna's on the top of that list. I think between Moderna and uh, Amgen, I think that's 16% of the IBB. You throw in Gilead, throw in Biogen, and you're talking about a couple stocks at least that have really had significant peak to trough declines. I happen to agree. Listen, you can explain away the Moderna for sure. Uh, it sold off, not least of which some of this Merck news obviously didn't help. And maybe the stock got ahead of itself as well. But you go back a couple months ago, and Moderna's at levels where it should hold. And I think Amgen's is flat out cheap. So if you think the space, specifically those two stocks, have gotten too inexpensive, I think the IBB on this big drawdown on the back of those two names is really interesting. Jeff, you like IBB because of the basket nature of it. It's not a single bet here, but it's been performing terribly, as we outlined, and heading to the lows of the year. Do you like it itself as an investment? Yeah, and the, the chart doesn't look great. I mean, honestly, it, it failed at the February high. It's down below the 200-day. I agree with Guy. There are some names in there that look overdone. They're fairly sizable weight. So at this point in time, I think it's a reasonable-looking entry point. But as you said, I think regardless of what happens in the near term, it's still a really great way to get diverse exposure to a corner of the market that has huge growth potential over time. And, and you're not exposed to the idiosyncratic risk of, of individual names. And I think for most investors, that's really important. It's not going to have the same payout as going all in on a Moderna before the big pop. Um, but at the same time, I think that's the sensible way to play it. And sure, it's lagged over the past five years. But if you pull your lens back over the last decade, it's crushed the S&P 500. <laughs> it's even beat the growth index more broadly. And I think we're really on the precipice of, of a potentially very significant period of innovation within biotech. So I think for an investor looking for exposure, yes, hold IBB here. I mean, you can look at it glass half full, Tim, in that we haven't seen a drawdown like this in, in years. And so maybe it's overdue for some sort of catch up at this point. I think the, the constituent weightings have a lot to do with this. And, and look, before this drawdown, and yeah, we struggled a little bit breaking the new highs, but this, this is one of the best five-year charts if you take it all the way back until this, until this point. Moderna, to, to me, like, unfortunately, Moderna, there's no value in Moderna. It's a question of pipeline and, and where's the next home run ball. A lot of baseball tonight, Mel. I know you're tuning in. And, you know, if you look at Moderna, of that pullback at a 9% weighting with uh, about a 30% pullback, you're, you're talking about 270 basis points right now of that, of that 10% we just talked about. You can do the math. Uh, Biogen has dropped all the way down to a 3.5% weighting. We know that story there. Uh, 
the Alzheimer's head fake, um, a lot of misdirection on that news. And, and I, I would get back to where Jeff is. First of all, great diversification, but these are great companies with great balance sheets. And I think actually as you get below Moderna, you actually have a pretty strong valuation argument in, in place here. So uh, again, I, I actually think the Moderna story can go lower. It's, it's not that this hasn't been a huge, you know, a true home run ball. Um, But going to 200 on the chart is is not impossible. All right. We've got an after hours alert here on Palantir. Let's get to Bertha Coombs for that. Bertha. Hey, Melissa, Palantir jumping 9% after hours as the company wins a data and analytics contract with the U.S. Army. Program will allow the Army to upgrade its data foundation from legacy programs. And the company says that it'll be used across a range of security classifications to fight emerging Threats. This is their Gotham platform. The, the contract is worth about $823 million. Back over to you. All right, Bertha, thanks. Bertha Coombs, nice pop today, but you're to date guy, underperformer. You liked this one at the beginning of the year. Well, you remember, obviously, uh, this time last year, I believe, we talked about what, what the acronym, that's the right word, right, Mel, should be for next year. And yeah, I the coined P and hope and P. Was the right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Exactly. And it, you're right. It has yeah. underperformed without question. This is good news on the margins. The really good news for Palantir will be when they start offering a sort of a, not a lesser version or a less expensive version for some of these mid-sized businesses. That's where the margins are going to be. And that's when they're going to get their next level of valuation. By the way, I still think the stock should be higher. But when you start seeing news like that, that's when the stock goes from 25 to 50. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Squid Game Effect. Shares of Netflix hitting a new all-time high. And one hot new show could be driving the stock on its record run. Plus, just buy it. Nike running higher as teens lace up on the sneaker stock. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Netflix surging to a brand new all-time high today. And that's not even the craziest chart of Netflix you will see today. Check out our chart of the day. Netflix daily app downloads just hitting their highest levels of the year. Thanks in part to its new hit show, Squid Games, which went to number one in 90 countries, including the U.S., and currently holds holds a 93% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. If you somehow have not already heard of Squid Games, here are the Fast Money Cliff Notes. It's a South Korean dystopian thriller series centered around contestants playing a series of children's games to win a life-changing amount of money and freedom from massive debt. But always there is a catch. The contestants quickly learn that the game is about more than just winning. And if you lose, you die. So there it is in a nutshell. So the stakes, much like Netflix's shares, are higher than ever. So how are you trading the record run, Tim? Well, look, Squid Games or not, 
Um, Netflix, which was uh, dead money from July through August of so 2020 to 2021, um, has broken out on a combination of, look, I think the expectation in two weeks is that subs come in better than the three and a half million. Uh, that was a terrible uh, you know, 2Q number. And I think some of the pull forward that you saw from from COVID, you now have much better comps and you're, you're getting past some of those tough comps. We talked about the, the gaming story, uh, the acquisition of, of night school, to what extent that that means. But Reed Hastings goes from just talking about a concept to really putting it into place. No additional costs, more engagement. So, so look, um, I've never been a buyer. By the way, a little victory lap for Tom Rogers, who's, who's talked about Netflix for a long time. That content slate right now is getting a lot of kudos from not just me, but I think more importantly, a lot of other people that continue to stay engaged. So I think it goes higher. Dan, I feel like you might be the one panelist uh, on tonight who may have watched Squid Game or knew what it was before we told everybody about it. Um, Do you like Netflix here? Well, it's pretty fascinating. You know, what Tim is referring to is Jeff Bezos actually tweeted about Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, who runs content over there, just giving them kudos, as Guy likes to say, about the quality of the content. And, you know, just when you thought we watched everything on the Internet during the pandemic, these guys have been pumping out stuff that literally, like you said, Mel, it's number one in 90 countries, including the U.S. So to me, that is a huge reason why you're seeing those app downloads and why investors may have greater confidence about those sub numbers. But the setup reminds me very similar to Amazon over the summer into their Q2 print. The stock had broken out after being dead money for a long time, and then it was disappointing and it came in kind of hard. So I'm not sure you chase this thing at this point because even if they pulled forward a little bit with the Squid Games, it might revert back a little bit right after. What this also tells you is that there is a bigger pool for potential content if you factor in international content, which viewers in the United States or or elsewhere are willing to watch subtitles or or watch it dubbed Jeff Mills, which, I mean, that's that's I don't want to say a game changer for Netflix, but that that means big things in terms of its content spend. No, it, it, it's very important, and it's a constant content battle, and that's what we're seeing between all these platforms. And it, it's the new stuff, it's the old stuff. Much to my wife's disappointment, Seinfeld is now on Netflix, so I've started watching that again, so that's pulling me back in. So there's plenty there to keep users engaged, and obviously that's the name of the game. I, you know, I think Netflix is a stock trading at 51 times forward. You know, it's, it's somewhat expensive for this market in the sense that if rates continue to drift higher, if we see some of these longer duration cash flow stocks get hit, Netflix could get put into that bucket. But, you know, over the long term, I like the fact that the valuation continues to come down. They've shown that they're able to sustain strong revenue growth because they have pricing power. It doesn't necessarily affect the customer churn as much as you might think. Uh, And I think if you use reasonable assumptions for revenue growth, even a a valuation multiple down the line for a more mature company, I think there's there's reasonable upside in the stock. The the last thing I'll say, and this this will be my second uh, self-would-you-rather, so I'll probably get put in the penalty box, but I always think about Disney in comparison, just given Disney Plus now. And uh, I, I lean in that direction a little bit simply because I think they have scope to raise the prices versus competitors like Netflix who are already at that higher price point. I both rolled my eyes and put you in the ledger, Jeff Mills. Um, you are warned. <laughs> Guy Dami, what do you think of Netflix here? First of all, Squid Games to me is uh, season three, episode 20 of The Odd Couple, number one. Number two, I've never seen Seinfeld, nor will I see it on the Netflix. Number three, you know, with everybody putting plus at the end of their name, at a certain point it doesn't matter anymore. Notice Netflix hasn't done that. Number four, Reed Hastings Stud said many times on this show, 
Number five, you own the stock in the earnings on the 19th of October. But I understand what Dan is saying. So maybe you pull the ripcord ahead and look for a pullback to that 585 level. But it's Netflix and everyone else, something we've said on this show for years. All right, coming up, the bet is on. FanDuel CEO Amy Howe joins us exclusively why she says the sports betting boom is entering bubble territory. But first, just buy it. How Nike and a group of teenagers have our traders lacing up. We'll break down the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nike running higher today. The company topping the list of hottest apparel and footwear brands among teenagers for the 11th straight year. That is according to Piper Sandler's biannual teen survey. Nike far outranking other apparel brands like PacSun, Adidas, and Lululemon, and other footwear brands like Vans, Converse, and Foot Locker. Does this mean that you want to buy this stock, though? Dan, what do you say? You know, we've been talking about Nike since that disappointing report, and it had that really monster move off those breakout highs over the last couple of months. And my thought is that if you have the opportunity of filling in that gap, that's where you want to do it. The sentiment is poor. They just guided poorly. We know it's going to be a difficult holiday selling season, but if you can look by that, that's probably the place. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, Nike is a stalwart on the list of that um, survey, and, you know, it probably deserves that rich premium. And if we can think past some of these near-term hiccups, I think this is probably a good level between 150 and that gap down to 135. Yeah. Jeff, you trading Nike here? Yeah, I think we played trade it or fade it a couple weeks ago, and I decided to trade it heading into earnings. Probably not the best idea, but, you know, I do agree with Dan. You know, you had the stock down 16% or so. It's now bouncing pretty convincingly off that upward sloping 200-day moving average. So it's finding its footing amid some of that really rough guidance that we had. The one thing that I took from the earnings report that I thought was generally positive, even amid some of the rising costs due to supply chain issues, was continued expansion in gross margins. I think you're continuing to see Nike focus on direct-to-consumer. Uh, I think you have about 65% of sales now at full price. That's going to be important for the company going forward. And yes, you have the Vietnam concerns. Uh, that's going to continue to be an issue for the next couple of quarters. I think that's well understood by the market now. Uh, the, the price reflects it some. I think the big risk, if that lingers you know, really into the middle of next year, becomes a problem. But I, I agree with Dan. I think now is, is a pretty good entry point. All right, coming up, the big bet. FanDuel CEO Amy Howe joins us exclusively to talk about the sports betting boom. We are live in Las Vegas next. But first, as we had to break, a message from the CEO of the Latino Corporate Directors Association as CNBC celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month. Forty years ago, Roberto Goizeta was named CEO of the Coca-Cola Company. During his tenure, the brand became the best-known trademark in the world. U.S. Latinos have a long tradition of driving business growth in corporate America, yet are invisible on corporate boards. Having a seat at the table matters. This Hispanic Heritage Month, let's raise awareness about the representation gap. Welcome back to Fast Money. A mixed day for the sports betting stocks. Penn dropping more than 3%, while DraftKings rally nearly 2%. Our next guest says the sports betting boom is entering bubble territory. Let's get to Contessa Brewer live at the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas with the FanDuel CEO, Amy Howe. Contessa, take it away. Melissa, are you ready for this? This is Amy Howe's big, new first interview 
as CEO of FanDuel, and not as acting CEO, but now as CEO. That uh, announcement just came out. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I couldn't be more delighted to be doing it thank with you. you. So thank you, Contessa. Uh, so it was interesting that you've said that this chase for U.S. players in this sports market is uh, entering bubble territory. Can you explain what signs, what warning signs are you seeing there? I mean, listen, I think if you, you know, all you need to do is watch an, an NFL game to see just how intense that battle is for uh, for acquisition, right? I mean, we've had, uh, we have, you know, eight to nine more states that are going to be coming online. And so we're in a really critical window right now. And the level of, you know, we've spent uh, first half of the year, we spent $300 million in marketing. We've spent a billion dollars to date. Um, but it's that, so I think there's only a certain number of companies that are going to be able to sustain that level of spend. But we think the real battle is ultimately going to be won on the product front, right? A big part of what has made FanDuel distinctive is we've always had a unique product proposition, right? We were first to market with same bait parlays. So ultimately, the companies that have those scale advantages, I think, are, are going to be the ones that prevail in the end. The customer acquisition costs are so high. And you said, how long can you sustain that? Yeah. The, I saw a recent survey from Paysafe that showed there is no loyalty. There is no brand loyalty among sports bettors. They go for who's giving them the most loot. So how does that change? How do you wean players off of, we'll put $500, we'll put $1,000 in your account? Yeah. Well, listen, I think the um, at the end of the day, uh, one of the things we see from the research is that consumers have to trust the brand, the betting platform, right? And so it may initially be a $5,000 risk-free bet that's going to bring you onto the platform. But at the end of the day, it's incumbent on us uh, to make sure that we're providing a safe experience, but that we're also providing an engaging experience. So, you know, yes, there's lots of money being thrown out there into the marketplace right now, but ultimately, you know, we're going to have to build a trusted platform in order to... I hate to rehash old news, but when we saw the Super Bowl and shutdowns and lockouts and all of that, a big, huge tech snafu. How important is reliable, seamless technology, and not just for the the bets that you're making in-game or otherwise, but for the ease of depositing money, taking money out and for moving your money around. It's it is critically important and you know one of the things that we just completed over the summer is a migration onto our global betting platform which came, which came as a result of all the great work that our parent company Flutter Entertainment has done and so we are on a, a very stable tech platform which matters, right? Because when you have a Super Bowl game and every year you have more and more new states coming online, you need a reliable platform, right? And, and that's that's part of building that trust with consumers. So we feel very good about where we are and we're in control of our own destiny. Look, uh, FanDuel and DraftKings were the dominators nationwide, partly because with fantasy sports, you had a lot of uh, customers all ready to go and ready to launch when the Supreme Court overturned the legislation that kept states from legalizing sports betting. But you've got these new entrants. I mean, Penn has made a big splash with Barstool. Caesars is prepared to spend a billion dollars on marketing to launch their sports betting app. And they have an amazing player rewards database to bring into that ecosystem. How do you keep your elbows out and try to guard off your territory? Well, I think scale really matters, right? We've issued full-year guidance that we're on track to hit, where we believe we'll come in somewhere between $1.8 and $2 billion in revenue, and that, we believe, is going to put us 50% ahead of the field. And so we've got to continue to create and you know, extend that scale advantage. I mean, you know, a big part of the playbook is making sure that we're in market on day one, 
and that we can quickly establish that leadership position. Um, but it's you're right; it's a it's a very intense uh, it's an intense battle right now. Melissa, do you want to jump in with Amy? I sure do. Thanks, Contessa. Amy, I'm wondering how you think about other areas of growth outside of sports betting, whether it be tangential uh, or ancillary businesses like maybe crypto or NFT platforms, um, as well as iGaming, where you see the growth in the next five years. Yeah, great question. And we have one of the largest and broadest portfolios today, right? So we're in fantasy sports and sports betting, as you uh, as you noted. Uh, we also have one of the biggest iGaming businesses, and we're in horse racing. And so a big part of the opportunity as we bring new iGaming and consumers onto the platform is to introduce them to other forms of entertainment. And we're always looking to for different ways to expand that portfolio. So that's a big part of the growth story. Um, candidly, we're sitting within Flutter, and there's a tremendous amount that we haven't leveraged to date, um, particularly in the iGaming space. And so that gives us really great growth opportunities beyond what we're already doing in sportsbook. I want to ask you about Florida because the scheduled launch of sports betting in Florida was supposed to be uh, next Friday, October 15th. We sat earlier with Jim Allen, the chairman of Hard Rock and, and the CEO of Seminole Gaming, who's been able to achieve a near monopoly in that state because of a deal with the governor. Um, tell me a little bit about the ballot initiative that you've joined in on with DraftKings to try and get entrance into what could be the biggest sports betting market in the yeah. United States. Yeah. Well, listen, as you know, there's a ton of uh, complexity in how we navigate those stakeholders. Uh, and it's, you know, both Florida and California represent very uh, interesting opportunities, but I think we're doing that in a way that ultimately will benefit the consumers in those states, right? Florida, the, a lot of those uh, proceeds would go to the education campaign, and in California, um, great causes around homelessness um, and mental health. So, uh, you know, a lot of needles to be thread, but we're working very closely with the regulators and the constituencies there. Amy, looking forward to listening in on your earnings calls. Thank you so much for joining us for this very first interview and your Thank new you tenure so as CEO. Appreciate Melissa. it. Melissa. All right, Contessa, thank you, and thank you, Amy Howe, CEO of FanDuel. Um, Guy Dami, how do you think about the space? We've, we've had analysts on in the past, and they said, you know what, as much as sports betting gets all the attention, um, iGaming is a huge opportunity, as Amy had suggested. Yeah, Tim's brought that up years ago, quite frankly, and now it's all coming to fruition now. How do I look at it? Well, she said it. There are going to be a few winners. There are a lot of people out there. It's a huge land grab right now. For example, I think DraftKings spends about 87% of their revenue on sales and marketing. So you see what's going on. But at a certain point, this will sort itself out and the wheat will be separated from the chaff. Uh, This is Flutter Entertainment, PDYPY, I think is a symbol, $35 billion company. I think it's actually pretty interesting. I will tell you, Penn is at a critical level. Dan's mentioned a number of times, almost cut in half. From its all-time high has not been trading well. That $70 level is critical that it holds. I'll go to Jeff because I think you own this one. Penn, that is, Jeff. Yeah, I think it's actually particularly interesting here. And to me, it looks like it wants to turn higher. Guy mentioned the fact it's 50% down from its all-time high. It's actually trading at a valuation now that's a little bit more reasonable. And I'm thinking more tactically, we've talked about what's going on with China and some of the casinos there. Penn with 100% U.S. revenue exposure. Uh, I like the stock here. And I think it's particularly interesting. Mel, I think you asked the question a couple of weeks ago in terms of a stock like Penn or DraftKings, you know, is this the right time to own a stock like this? And I basically said, no, it's not. And we just talked about it. You know, these higher valuation, longer term growth stories. But 
I do think it's interesting in the sense that the S&P 500 over the last week, it's down a percent. Growth, obviously down more. We have Penn, DraftKings, stocks that have been beat up pretty badly already. They've actually bucked the trend and moved higher. So I think investors are seeing some value here and looking forward to the growth potential. Just quickly, Tim, here's a quick would you rather for you. One of these online gaming betting sites, uh, stocks, or Macau? Ooh, um, so look, I think Macau is cheap. I think the valuations make sense. I don't think you're gonna have license redistribution. So in, in the short term, Macau is my trade. My investment, sorry, you didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to. Um, I, my investment is, 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 is iGaming, online sports betting, and DraftKings, and the land grab, and the consolidation, and these acquisitions they're making that are accretive based upon using an overpriced currency as a stock. Uh, it, it, states are coming online, it, you know, more coming. It's an investment in the future. It's like ignore Mel night. It's like, who's Mel? I don't know who Mel is. I didn't hear what she asked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, speaking of sports betting, I hope you won't ignore this. Tonight, catch an all-new CNBC documentary, Generation Gamble. We'll take you inside the explosion of online trading and sports betting during the pandemic. And for, succum- for some companies and consumers, it has been a wild ride. Last year, the Tampa Bay Rays had like a miraculous World Series run, and I had the 25 to 1 bet on them to win. It was an emotional ride. It was fun. And I like almost became a Rays fan in a way where like I bought a hat. I was going to buy a jersey if they won. DraftKings co-founder Paul Lieberman sees that emotional ride firsthand at the company's headquarters in Boston. Paul's ahead of global product and technology. This is our network operations center. And this is his scoreboard of real-time engagement. In the last minute, for example, there were 462 bets that were made on our sports book. And that will say now it's 482. It keeps on updating. You know, pre-Super Bowl, we'll get to tens of thousands per minute. Um, tens so, of thousands yeah, just before the Super Bowl? Just before the Super Bowl. Before the so, game starts Before that the day. game starts that day. Tens of thousands of bets a minute. Wow. Don't miss the premiere of Generation Gamble. That's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Coming up, option traders fueling up on GM as the company gets ready to kick off its big investor day. Buckle up. We've got a whole lot more Fast Money after this quick break. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Enbridge. Caps a full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And speaking of Jim, he made some moves in the fintech space today, buying shares of PayPal for his charitable trust at around $259.74. You can read more about what Jim is buying and selling with the CNBC Investing Club. He'll be sending daily emails, writing for our website, and appearing in videos online, all to give you his unique insights into the market. Find out all about his winners and his losers. Sign up now at CNBC.com backslash investing club or just point your phone at that QR code on the side of the screen and it will take you there. All right, shares of GM moving higher ahead of tomorrow's big investor day. Let's bring in Mike Coe because he spotted some interesting activity on GM in the options pits. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, well, we saw calls outpacing puts by about three to one on above average call volume. The most active options were the October 54 calls. A little over 16,000 of those traded for an average price of $1.67 a contract. That included some institutional buyers. We saw a block of 3,000 trade for $1.60. Buyers of those call options are obviously betting that GM's going to rise above that $54 strike price by at least the $1.67 that they paid. That would put the stock back at prices that it hasn't really seen since July and the first week of August. They might be expecting it to recover from that big drop that we saw following some good news by a week from Friday. Yeah. Uh, Tim, what do you want to hear from this meeting tomorrow? 
I, I want to hear a little bit about their, their, their battery operations, ultimately the sustainability of, of the long-term you know, dynamic of the company. I don't find that in question. I think the market is questioning that. But again, their EV transition, um, can they maintain the same gross margins? To what extent is there uh, recurring revenue streams? Where can they use some of their software? You know, they've invested a lot in their Ultium battery and, and some of their autonomous technology. I, I believe there are other ways to monetize this. I, I believe they will have catalysts. That's what you do at an investor day. I'm I'm kind of excited. Um, Guy, what do you think? Do you think this could be a catalyst tomorrow? Should be. Absolutely should be. I mean, without question, if they come out and say some of the things that, listen, this move from, I think, 60-something down to 50 was all pretty much self-inflicted wounds on GM's part. They have an opportunity tomorrow to sort of clean that slate. You're talking about a stock that's trading at an eight times next year's numbers, maybe less than that, which is Ridiculous. And I understand you don't buy these companies when they're cheap, but these are just too cheap. I mean, you put a 10 multiple on General Motors and the $7 they're going to earn, you can do that math. I know I can. You're talking about a $70 stock, and that's where it should be trading. Um, Jeff Mills, um, how do, you, do you see this as an opportunity even if the company um, faces some more supply chain issues? Yeah, I do, because I think the market fully understands that now and, and people will be willing to look past it. I think for tomorrow, people want to hear about the growth opportunity, to Tim's point. They want to hear about other areas of revenue, uh, talking about the, some of their platform businesses, obviously what they're doing in EVs. And, and the guy's point, I think the growth story is going to play into the valuation multiple. You know, it was trading at 12 times, now at eight times. But historically, eight times really hasn't been that cheap for the stock. You back, go back to 13, 14, it was trading at eight times and really didn't go anywhere for a while. But... I think with the, the, the possibility of additional growth here in some of these areas that we're seeing, eight times now is probably too cheap. It held 50, which I think was important. So I do think the stock goes higher. All right. Michael, thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Watching your special tonight, Mel, and watching that GM Investor Day, I think there are catalysts there. Jeff Mills. Penn National Gaming, 50% off its highs. I think it's turning here. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I'm with Verona on Amazon, 3,000 before 3,400. I'm watching Generation Gamble tonight. Aw, Guy Adami. Yeah, I'm not. I'm watching the Yankees. The Yankees. Uh, I Palantir, knew it. Mel. going to say Yankees. I knew it. You can watch both. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Don't forget, Generation Gamble tonight. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.